Welcome to Cornercast. Are you taking the intro? Episode 94, and uh, we're going to start off with a little uh, music trivia quiz. Can anyone... Boot Scoot Boogie. Yeah. Can anyone guess this song? In particular, Ren, can you guess the song? Ready? One, two, three, go. Yes. Mario. <laughs> Super Nintendo. Say that's Mario, right? <laughs> that was like, I, I got it there. I was like, wait a minute. That's Mario. Then I was like, no, it's not Mario. That's not Mario at all. And I was like, but it is. Literally random notes. <laughs> yeah, I don't I make, see what you're talking about now. Yeah. I don't know how to play a song at all. I, I don't either. Like, I, I know the, no, I know when the notes go up and down. Yeah. But that's about it. <laughs> Wait, so were you intending to play that, or was that like a psych experiment on just hearing a song? No, I every note was. We, we were both making it up 100. <laughs> percent Neither of us studied the song. That's a really fascinating exercise, though, because it's like the notes literally yeah. don't matter. It's just the change between notes that matters. The relative. So as long as you know how to go up and down on the scale, it's like yeah. it works. Dude, I can play so many songs on guitar now that I've mastered the technique of not caring about notes. <laughs> I mean, there's Darth Vader's theme. It's actually really close. Ren, have you ever played guitar before? Play me a popular song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez, I do. I do not play it's guitar. E- it's even uh, better if you don't the, t- tell us what the song is going to be. Yeah, okay, okay, tell us, guess. Uh, I okay. What's high? That's okay. Okay, high up, high low. Okay. Uh, I don't know a song. I'm on the spot. Uh, Red, think of a song. Any song. Just name a song. The, okay, no, I got one. I got anthem. one. Ready? I got. Wait, wait. Stop playing. Okay. Oh, he's doing it. He's doing it. <laughs> Jake's just playing a nice actual song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. White stripes. The thing is, I actually got one of the intervals. I was like, ooh, I hit it. We solved it. He's believing. We solved it. We solved how you can play any song. Guys, welcome to our master class. We've solved how to play any instrument. As long as you play the notes in time, you will have a great time, and everyone will be able to recognize what you're playing. Just raw recognition. See, people, you're a good musician and people know what song you're playing. That's the key. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all, that's all it's about. That's yeah. all it's about. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah so that, that, f- that you try and take any deep thoughts you want out of that experiment, but that was just for a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are we doing this week, boys? We're back from Memorial Day. Well, like that's Memorial good. <clears throat> yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I'm working on AI-based uh, age... Uh, okay. Augment, or face augmentation. Can I show a photo that I found? Sure. That you found. Can we can we show it to the truth? You'll have to describe it for the people that are listening to this audio only. Which yeah. is okay, this is a, honestly this is the a best f- way to watch a podcast. <laughs> this is a photo of me from I don't know maybe second or third grade. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, should I not be? Look at that. Hey, it's a young Jake. Wow. That's a, wait, hold it. Hold it closer to your face so it's in focus. You look like a oh, kid who would get yeah. in fights with the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the rat? Can you see the rat tail? What? Oh, no. Did you notice that? No, I thought that was a shadow. Like peeking out That's there. That's why Spencer and I were kindred from the moment of birth. Because <laughs> we both had rat tails. I also found this hilarious uh, 90s 
family photo. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Posing. Which is, it's so 90s. It's not even funny. Like the, the color, <laughs> the color coordination. The geometric layout. Mm-hmm. The perfect symmetry. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> these are so funny. There was, I, I went back through and found a couple good ones for you. So you can, uh, you can get a good one for me. Yeah. So, so Jake's looking for photos of himself as a child because I requested that from every person in the office. So I recently he, got, so my dad, like a year or two ago, went through and scanned all of our old family photos. Oh, yeah. Like, he, like growing up, he would just be taking photos all the time. And they, they would come out on like those little, like, rolls, those stacks mm -hmm. of, uh, what is it, like 99 minute photo, 60 minute photo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 99 minute photo. 99 one minutes. Hour, one hour photo. <laughs> one hour and 29 minute photo. <laughs> <laughs> they just start a bunch of different LLCs to accommodate for the different time it takes. <laughs> Wait, did you guys see that Robin Williams movie, One Hour Photo? Yeah, that was a weird one. That was a good one. Sorry, continue. Yeah, uh, what was I talking about? You're talking uh, about your dad's photos. Yes. photos. So, uh, like, we ended up with like shoeboxes filled with like those little packets full of photos, and uh -huh. he went through and he scanned all of them, and he gave my sister and I like like a twenty gigs worth of just scans. So I have like wow. a, I've I've gone through like a bunch of them, and it's it's kind of crazy just going down memory lane like that. Hmm. It's like wow. Yeah, my my uh, <laughs> aunt then, has tasked me with. I actually had to buy a photo scanner the other day. I haven't unboxed it. My aunt started sending me photo books. Oh. And she's like, you need to scan these because no one else is gonna. And so, now, so now I'm that guy. And now oh. it's, the responsibility has fall, fallen onto yeah. you. Yeah, but I bought a decent photo scanner, so I'm kind of excited about it. So you, what you're saying is you're never too old for nephew duties. No, certainly not. <laughs> yeah. As long as you have an aunt, no. And I need you, muzzle uh, flashes in this video. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. My mother-in-law for her birthday got uh, from her daughter's uh, a service that will digitize VHS tapes. Mm. So you basically just they send you a box and you fill the box up with all your VHS tapes and you send it back <clears> and then they return that box to you with a, a drive filled with uh, digital files. Mm. Um, and that was another thing I had a bunch growing up with VHS. Uh, yeah, we got recordings, a bunch of home videos, too. classic home videos. I haven't transferred to DV tape. That's as far as I got. Okay, so Ren, what was the craziest thing? Uh, what was the best family photo and the worst family photo? Wait, real quick, worst saw? family photo. Should, should we mention why we're talking about pictures of us as kids? Oh. In a moment, yeah, we'll get there. It's okay. a podcast. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite family photos. I mean, we didn't really have many family photos, quote unquote. Okay. It would be like us out in the wilderness <laughs> and my dad would set up a camera and we'd stand in front of it because we we're like camping or something uh yeah my favorite family photos are the karate photos oh yeah those are really good the, no i guess specifically for my family it was taekwondo it was my oh, dad my, my sister and i there's one i remember you i saw i, I saw some of this <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's a few where like my dad would like be like looking stern over the two of us and my sister would be doing the splits or i'd be doing the splits one of us would do a punch or something you mm -hmm. know it's, Weird, goofy stuff like that. And then there's this one photo of me where I'm doing a, a jumping front kick over a wolf. There's just this <laughs> random wolf, and I'm just doing a front kick over it, but I'm making this face. <laughs> An actual wolf? No, it was like, you know, they, they put in, you're like filmed on a blue screen or whatever, and they replaced oh. the background. This is before okay. I even really understood what any of that even meant. I got into effects kind of late in life. <laughs> That's amazing. I know, it's like the most... Like it's the epitome of the like the mid to late nineties like action photo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the, I for some reason remember seeing lasers in them. 
but I don't know if there were lasers. But yeah, if there I, were, I remember there being lasers too, but I don't think there were. Were there? Probably no lasers. In there should have. There should have been. Should have been. Yeah. Yeah. A quintessential laser backdrop. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have Classic. a crazy family photo. <clears throat> No crazy family photos. No, I mean I've got I've got is. one where my, my my sister and my two brothers and me, my mom made us all put on our letter jackets and ah. stand stand on the stairwell, like like this with all of our years. Ah. It's the, and, and my sister was out of high school at this point. She was like two years out, so that was considered totally not cool and my, <laughs> and my mom made her do it anyway she was so and you can tell in the photo that she's not happy about it really <laughs> wow oh man yeah she probably all, is glad she took that picture now all, all my uh family photos from like 1999 and on were Basically, like my mom got into portrait photography, so she <laughs> oh, wow. insisted in basically setting up and taking all of them herself. So, like the photos generally look pretty nice, actually, but like everyone looks super doofy because <laughs> it's kind of like the everyone dresses themselves thing. Like she's great at the photo end, but do you remember that, yeah. se- that the, uh, series you have of you in like the blue velvet jacket and the Uzi? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. She's like, I want to take portraits of you. I'm like, I've got this airsoft gun. I want to post with. <laughs> we, we set this as a screensaver on a computer. For, we should do this again soon. At least on one of the computers in here. But it's just Sam different poses, like nice portrait lighting, with a blue velvet jacket and an Uzi, <laughs> like just standing there posing in different ways, looking really classy. Yeah. Well, your mom had a studio in your house, Sam. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hence the our our founders photo. Hence the our founders right. photo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's where that came from. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It all Both makes of sense them. Now. The the original one, where we have where Nico has the bandana. What oh, was yeah. the, the sidewinder? Was... Yeah, sidewinder and Mecha Force. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where Nico's got the bandana and stuff, and we're all like super my, like hip dude. Yeah, I got my dragon like button up shirt. Yeah, on. Your, your dragon yeah. button. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. You can't find yeah. these anywhere. Nope. I had to kill a guy to get this. <laughs> I distinctly remember that he- uh, bandana, though, that blue bandana. <laughs> I do have one more uh, founder photo. It's a different version. can't remember if I brought it or not. Maybe sitting at my desk <laughs> at home. But yeah, similar. Back in the day when Sam and I were making a bunch of goofy action films in high school. They have a lot of costumes. So, so why are we doing this, Nico? Uh, yeah. So there's... Uh, there's a bunch of like really cool experiments happening in like the style gan, uh, like AI space. So you've probably seen like you may have seen on the internet like this isn't a real face, and it's like a totally real looking picture of someone's face. And it's you know they'll show a video of like you know morphing between different faces, and basically they're AI generated faces. <clears throat> and I use that in the video. Yeah, yeah, ran that, in the video. That, uh, what was channel. the name of that video? That was the uh, you monster. Oh, right, right. All the Instagram profiles, I, I literally generated people. It was like the website, thispersonisnotreal.com. Yeah. You just refresh it, and a brand new photo comes up, and it's like, this person is not real. It's just yeah. a generated photo. I think technically it's huh. thispersondoesnotexist.com. Maybe, yeah, I yeah. Uh, but if you haven't been there, it's interesting. You might be they're like, compete, they're competing <clears throat> sites. They're, they're competing for the same <laughs> <videos>. Yeah. <laughs> and if you go there, would be like, these are totally real people. What, what's, what's going on here? And basically, it's, you know, there's a, so it's this data set of, of pictures that uh, NVIDIA made called the FFHQ. Full face high quality, I believe it was, was what it stands for. Wait, yeah, no, I've heard about that. Yeah. And so basically, they, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like 70,000 pictures or 60,000 pictures. That's right. No, I remember you telling me about it when we were doing the Skywalker deepfake. Yep. Yeah. So basically, NVIDIA, you know, you know, in terms of training things like 
so there's a thing called a, a, a GAN, a generative, generative adversarial network. Um, it's a style of AI. Long story short, it lets you it lets you feed images to it, and then it can generate approximations of those images. It's it can only do it if you like you categorize it. So you can feed it like you know fifty thousand faces, and then be like, generate me a face, and basically it's basically a collage. It's going to go through and like pull on like all the little bits of everything from all the faces just to generate a new random face. <clears throat> um, or you can show it, you know, 50,000 pictures of cars and have it generate you a car. Um, that kind of seems pretty sweet. It is really sweet. It's really cool. <laughs> I want to see like a, a car that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but in a way it's a little underwhelming because it's not that it doesn't exist because it is actually a subset of all the other cars. It's not like it's going to invent Right, a yeah. style of car that it hasn't seen before. You know, it's it's only going to be blends of what's already there. Same thing with the faces. Well, that goes back to like I feel like all of the AI machine learning stuff in general is like you can never get what it hasn't trained on. Yeah, you can never get something that you didn't put in to begin with. Yeah, at, or, at least or if to you do, it's not like it's not in the sense of like uh, it's these, we start defining like really interesting concepts here <clears throat> as you start talking about this stuff, but like. Like you can get a AI to generate something it hasn't seen before, but it's going to be a subset or influenced by what it has seen. Right. Yeah. You know, versus like a totally random new thing. I believe one of the terms for uh, like deepfakes is like hallucination. When a computer is trying to draw something that it doesn't know what it is, it's hallucinating Interesting. detail. Interesting. Uh, which is a cool but, term for it. Um, see, this is like this is where we get to uh, get into all these cool like cyberpunk terms. Dreams. It's totally a frontier. You can call things whatever you want right now. <laughs> this computer's this computer's hallucinating. Someone stop it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, anyways, uh, so you know, with uh, StyleGAN, you can create this, but then you can also you can manipulate things in a really interesting way. So, when you're dealing like with a picture of a human face in this like in this GAN space, this AI space. Um, you know, it's not like there's, it's not like in the classic bitmap sense. It's more like in terms of features, like there's roughly like parts of the AI that get triggered when they see eyebrows. There's parts of the AI that get triggered when they see mouths. There's parts of the AI that get triggered with different skin tones and different lighting. Hmm. So kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen like uh, like brain scans, like when people like look at a picture or a word, like parts of the brain light up. Yeah. And they look at a picture of a bird and different parts of the you know brain light up, but they look at the word bird and like then this overlap, you know. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's it's a similar thing for neural networks because they're kind of based on that philosophy of neurons. And, you know, so different like, you know, areas of these neural networks get activated when they see like these different features or when you're drawing these different features. Hmm. So people, you know, they're taking this research and they're rolling that ball even further. So then they got to the point where it's like, well, what if like I want to load a new picture of a face? What if I want to take a picture of Ren and move it into this latent space of this of this AI? Right. Because it's. These aren't bitmaps that you're looking at. They're, they're generative pictures. You know, they're little bits of neurons being activated to draw certain eyes and faces and things like that. Um, so <clears throat> some programs came out that basically would let you take a picture of somebody and then try to get as close as you could to triggering the right neurons to generate that face in the AI space. Oh. And okay. once you've done okay. that, now you have the... Not a JPEG or a the, PNG. You got the raw data. You have ingredients. the the neural network activation pattern. <laughs> you got for the a source face. code for a face. <laughs> and the thing is, like, it doesn't the always. Woman in the red dress. It rarely looks perfect. <laughs> it's always like a weird approximation. It's like, and you can see like hints of celebrities because a lot of these faces are celebrities. So like, oh, like those are yeah. slightly Michael Sarah's eyes. And I'm looking at Ren's face. That, that you would know? be me. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> I'm going to give that to you, and it's just going to give you an image of Christian Bale. <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah, man. 
I've already seen hints of George Clooney and some faces too. It's like it pops up. Um, but the cool thing is then you can take some of these parameters and you'd be like, well, I'm going to say select the, the, the neurons that are triggered with hair. And then I'm going to start pushing these in different ways. And sometimes it changes the hair color or sometimes it changes the hairstyle because it starts pulling from other hair colors or hairstyles it's seen on other faces. And so you're moving through that, that space, that, that latent space of face data basically, or the, of that. Wait, are you seeing like an animation? Is that what you can make an animation, but more so it's like the results you're getting out of it. What? So once you've been able to transfer a face out of just being a picture and into this, like, you know, like you said, the raw data, you're in the neural network. Mm -hmm. Um, you can change parameters of that face. And unlike Photoshop, where you're working on a pixel level, in this in this you know AI space in this neural space, you're working in the neural level. So you can, it's like going into somebody's brain wow. and like you know like you know when like people like are doing brain surgery and like the doctor's poking part of the brain. The person's oh, like, yeah, I know exactly. Oh, what I that's taste like. like alkaline or like oh right. Or okay. I feel no, sad. I, I, I actually know? have heard of that before. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where you, yeah you trigger some weird sense. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah like a taste. By like poking the right part of the brain. So, so you push this network in certain ways and you can take this picture of a face and then you can evolve it by pushing it towards the other faces. And like I said, you know, the things that are triggered when you look at a wrinkly face versus a smooth face, you can find what's doing that in the neural network and you can activate those and something you can put wrinkles on your face, except they, it looks really, really photorealistic because it's being rendered in this hyper realistic, huh. like face generation thing. So... What, what is what is the purpose behind what you're doing? So we decided to do an experiment because you can age up and you can age down photos. You can change their genders. You can do pretty much anything um, as long as you're just pushing to like other spaces in this in this neural space. It's called a latent space. It's technically the term for it. But we want to do an experiment where, you know, can an AI predict the future, so to speak? Can it predict the past? Can I feed an AI a predict picture of us as kids and then use the AI to age our faces up using this new method? And how accurate it is, is it to what our faces would actually look like if they're aged up? Now, how, how does this compare to, like, say, the face app? Remember, like, was that last year, the year before, when, yeah, like, when literally just snap on our age? phone would, like, look at our face and then make us look old? Face app? I mean, <clears throat> face app was actually super cool. Um, and it works in many similar ways. So I think that one was more of, like, a. it's hard to say because I don't exactly know how it worked. But I think that was more of a style transfer. That's, where it's, okay, like, that's it's more of was... a textural change. Gotcha. Um, and while you can certainly do textural changes here, here, this I like. I'm curious because this is what we're finding out. This is what we're making a crew video about this, and this is what the experiment really is is delving into. Is when you're doing it through this style of an AI, when it's seen old faces and young faces, and it's it has all these faces basically mapped to this latent space. When you trigger the things that make it, you know, the, the triggers that make a face old. When you trigger those wrinkle sensors and Whatever else, you know, who, you know, who knows, whatever else it is that activates when you see an old face, does that give you a more accurate representation of what you would actually look like when you're old versus, say, doing like the face app method of just like a style swap or like, you know, a texture swap? Yeah. Um, OK, OK. You know, and you should compare those. We should. And yeah, because like part of it, like uh, the face app, when you put it on a baby, it just looks like an old baby it's like yeah benjamin button as opposed to like actually what they would look like as an older person yeah and i'm oversimplifying what face app does like face app is actually pretty sophisticated too right but this is just this is a different thing and you can push it in more than just age you can push it anywhere you can 
there's new like and this is i'm stepping out of my knowledge base here but like there's new ways to manipulate these spaces uh and one i'm using right now is style clip when clip is a totally different ai model clip clip yeah c-l-i-p c-l-i-p which i think believe is made by open ai the same people behind not to be confused with the other ai called mag <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Sorry. clears throat> um <laughs> yeah cl- a clip is when the faces are all bound together through a through an actual clip and a, and a me- and mag is when the faces are stacked together inside of a compartment <laughs> So uh, the company behind GPT-3, which if you've listened to this podcast recently, we did a bunch of GPT-3 stuff recently. Um, they also made this thing called Clip. I think it was them. Um, and Clip is basically a like a judgment AI. <laughs> yeah. What kind of judgment? Are we talking like, like legal he showed judgment? A, he showed a picture and goes, that's a real picture or that's not a real picture. Oh, okay. Which is really handy when you're actually training other AIs. Because you can okay. use Clip as a judgment portion of this to like, you know, inform things. So, you know, by messing with the system, you know, right now you can, you can alter anything. It doesn't just have to be age. It can be literally your hairstyle. It can be your facial hair. It can be your gender. You can literally write cartoon characters and it'll start warping your features of your face to match a cartoon character. Um, You know, and there's limits because once again, it's only been trained on the set of faces, you know, that it's seen. So it can only go so far. Um, but you can do a lot of really interesting stuff with it. So the big experiment right now is like, if I take a picture of one of us as a kid and I age it up using the AI, how accurate is it? And vice versa. Currently finding that it's, it's 50 50, but it's giving me a lot of really interesting results in the process. Like the, the style clip method, you know, if you think of it like a filter, like you're just working with some sliders, you have like a strength slider, right? But then you have one, which is the number of like neurons to activate. So you can, I'm, I'm Is it like a threshold here. type deal. Or yeah. Is so it it's a... like, for example, I can be like, just activate the couple of parameters that are specifically identified, say with eye color. If I'm changing my eye color. Right. <clears throat> okay. Sure. And maybe I only have it set to like, uh, just like one or two or three parameters, but I can start to expand that to 10, 15, 20, 100, 200. And it starts to bring in other things that are associated with eye color, like hair color or face structure, or makeup, you know? Hmm. So as you expand this, you can start to lose the likeness of the person you're working with, but you also start to see, like, these other attributes that kind of go hand-in-hand hand with things. And it's one of the reasons, like, a lot of filters can look weird, like Photoshop's smile filter, right? <laughs> if yeah. the wrinkles around the outside of your eyes don't change when your smile changes, <laughs> as Ren is demonstrating <laughs> now, it doesn't look right, you know? And yeah. so if your parameters are too small, you can move just lips and then nothing else changes on the face and it looks weird. Or, you know, or you change too much and you've totally changed into a different person. Um, it's really fascinating stuff. And I think a brand new you. Yeah. And that's just what we're working on. Uh, that's what I've been working on recently. It'll be out in the quarter crew channel probably in about two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, that's the end of my spiel. That's the end of what I'm working on. Sam, Ren, Jake. Can we can we ter- take like um, like Abraham Lincoln or something and see what they would look like today? If they just kept aging, you could do that. You could also, the other really cool thing about this is you can take a picture that's not necessarily a photo, like a painting of the Mona Lisa, and then find the nearest equivalent in this uh, style GAN, in this latent space, 
it'll be a real person's, you know, a collage or more or less right. of real people's features. Finding the actor that played the Mona Lisa. Exactly. You know, and, you can <laughs> and, and then with... it'll, it'll tell you if she's smirking or if she's sad <laughs> or. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because no one Jake, knows. It's up to you, man. What do you think? Okay. I, you know? I think she's kind of smirking. I, I, I don't know. Then that's the truth that you live by. Okay. <laughs> I think she's smirking at life, you know? She knows it's all it's all just fleeting. Yeah. Is it her or is it Da Vinci smirking at life? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <sighs> uh, yeah, I know. I got to get all these kid pictures. I'm like, I don't even know what to do. I got a bunch somewhere on my phone, I think. Just got to keep scrolling. You just need one. I know. I know the one. It's, it's like a second grade straight on Class the camera. Photo. I got this super doofy smile. It's great. Perfect. Dude, when I was a kid, I had a totally different smile, too. Like, I smiled differently. I was like... <laughs> your bottom like lip covered up your top lip? Yeah, I was like... <laughs> or your top teeth? <laughs> something like that. I didn't know how to smile. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's, I feel like half the reason why, like, kid photos, um, specifically, like, yearbook photos, you mm -hmm. know, when you show up at school just all nice, you take your photo, it's like... Kids at that age don't know how to actually smile. Yeah. Like intentionally, consciously, you know? Consciously, yeah. Yeah, consciously, exactly. It's like all all kids will smile when they're when they're happy and are smiling, but like like oh, you want me to smile now? I'm very nervous. There's a lot of lights pointed at me. <laughs> so look at my teeth. <laughs> um, I am still wearing a police uniform. <laughs> Did you uh, join the Did you join the force, Red? What happened? Yeah, I'm, what I'm happened? a rookie. What are you guys uh, filming? Terminator Two. Oh, um, you're getting the shots. Yeah, nice. We got the shots today. For Terminator How is that 2. going? Ah, uh, it's going. <laughs> there was a an exhibit at the Science Museum in Minnesota back when I was like ten years old, and it was a visual effects and special effects exhibit. It was super rad. Cool. And one of the segments was on T two. And wow. how they did the the bar, like molding through the bars and stuff. That's like literally what we're doing. Oh, it's a deep dive into that shot. Wait, tell us how they did it because we really like that was this <laughs> is mean, kind of like the foundation of the videos. How did they do this? Uh, I mean, yeah. we've 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 found the research that points us in the pretty good direction. But I vaguely remember it. So remember, there's like a you know a VHS playing on some TV display at the Science <laughs> Museum. Uh, I remember them making a 3D model and roughly tracking it to his head and building bars and having something that would deform the 3D model as it moved through the bars. And then I don't know if they texture projected mapped his face onto the head or if they just simply used it for shading and kind of called it a day. But that's all I really remember. I mean, that was basically it. They, in <laughs> they invented projection mapping. For that shot? For that one shot. Damn. They, they created a program to basically stick a texture onto a 3D model and they used the texture from the camera of the dude walking through. Uh, and it's, it's really crazy to read the interview about them talking about that because... He's literally describing not just camera mapping, but UVW maps. Oh, wow. And it was a brand new concept of having like a texture coordinate stick to a geometry coordinate. That's so cool. And the software they had at the time was called Make Sticky. <laughs> Make Sticky. <laughs> that was what they called it. It's like, all right, we're going to use Make Sticky and uh, we're going <laughs> to. To make the textures stick to the yeah, model. Yeah. Oh, my and God. And that was the second name. The first name was called Make Me Sticky. <laughs> <laughs> and that one, that's a name that didn't uh, stick. People didn't like it. Oh my god! Like I don't want to have to say this at make work. Me <laughs> <laughs> don't go to makemesticky.com. You'll probably get something strange. Yeah, yeah don't. Yeah, uh, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, and it's super cool because it's like 
I, yeah, so part of this video we're doing is basically a deep dive investigation into how they did some of these effects from Terminator 2, which came out in 1991, 30 years ago this July. And Wow. Uh, part of that is kind of us just kind of going into it. Another part of it is Peter and I trying to take a couple different methods of recreating one of those shots, like with modern uh, tools and whatnot, and what kind of challenges aren't really a thing anymore, what challenges are now a thing that weren't back then, what sort of challenges persist through time. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully, ideally, if it works out, we'll actually get to interview uh, someone who worked on one of those shots, which I have a lead on. That'd be really cool. I, I, I DM'd a message to someone, may have gotten a hit, but we might Sweet. have to actually work directly with ILM PR. <laughs> so we'll <Yeah>. see. <laughs> you guys That's all crazy. saw the uh, the Captain Disillusion Flight of the Navigator video, right? I yeah. honestly haven't finished it. I, I sat down to watch it thinking it was like going to be like a good like five, 10 minute video. That video was 41 minutes long. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh, I don't have time to finish this. And then it was just one of those that I, I haven't gotten back to. I mean to. It's so well made, though. Like... Yeah, classic Captain D. I wish there was a TV. I I wish he could do that for like you know fifteen episodes and just like capture the magic of like old films like that. Yeah, and you know, and that's the thing is that like people would watch it. There would absolutely be an audience for it. But yeah. you know, it's the same problem that Ian Hubert has, where it's like you have one guy doing everything, mm. and you know, it's like okay, well, get a team to help you, and then you can do more of it, and you know throw a bunch of money and budget at the problem and like you can do more of that and it's like well the more you do that though then the less you know captain disillusion the less ian hubert is directly involved with that stuff and then it kind of becomes yeah. less of yeah it's like the one guy that should that be making likes. it becomes the one guy running the team as opposed yeah. to the one guy making it did you catch the 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 yeah, captain disillusion did the voice of that character in ian's short i missed it i did heard he? about it i haven't yeah, actually you know, the little floating robot thing that's talking and going around oh he did that's oh that's happened yeah yeah, oh, yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. he voiced that like which is like the only other character that speaks and, that's awesome yeah i it was one of those when i found out about i was like how did i not notice that yeah i should have known that i know yeah Can't Clint said he did some voiceover for it too. He did. I think he yeah. did a little bit of like some background talking. Okay. I don't think there's any some, like direct uh, like on camera talking. Yeah. Was is uh, Beeple the other little robot that goes by? Or like get out of the way. Like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, that's funny. I have a feeling it is. It sounds a lot like him. That's really funny. I would be surprised if it is. I keep forgetting uh, is it Alan? Is that his real name? Alan, Alan yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was also his intern's name, so I didn't want to like in character, so I didn't want to like <laughs> yeah, call him, call him by his on character intern's name. <laughs> but calling him Captain Disillusion as we keep talking about him. I know, yeah, character. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Alan's a good voice actor. Like, that, I mean, are we, we should transition to talking about Ian's video too, because holy moly. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> My God. Yeah, that was incredible. Like, I, I can't remember who described it as Miyazaki in real life, or not real life, yeah, but like, Peter not, yeah, modern Miyazaki. Like Ghibli, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like that. It's definitely like the best written piece too of his as well. It's mm -hmm. like the best of best visually and the best written because it's just so simple, it's straightforward, really mm -hmm. moody. And, and it's then, it's all about that world building, you know? It's like yeah. it, the reason why it feels so real is because so much effort went into making all these different parts feel real. Can we talk about we 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 talked with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah we uh we had no him secrets. on VFX Arts React. Kind of. He <laughs> Skyped in. Um so that episode is coming out. Is that this weekend or the following weekend? I think is this, is this, this weekend. This weekend, everyone. If you're tuning we in right when this uh, podcast episode. episode is dropping. Yeah, it was a guest episode. We have a we had a guest come in, but we also uh, took a look at 
uh, Dynamo, uh, Ian Hubert's most recent short film, and we chatted with him about it. And one of the things I found really interesting that he mentioned was that he would write a scene and kind of like start working on that scene, but then start working backwards. He's like, okay, so for all of this to make sense, all of these other things would need to be in place for this scene to make sense. And then he starts working on that scene, both writing and, and you know, technical. Uh, and then once that's in place, it's like, oh, okay, but now I need to make all these things make sense and why the, these things exist. And he works backwards. So he basically wrote the film in reverse. Interesting. Which I found really interesting because now it's like as he keeps going, everything works, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't, think, I don't think that really works so well for more traditionally narrative-driven stuff. But for something that is so visceral and, and or dense and, and sci-fi dense, yeah. and like otherworldly it's like yeah that makes that's probably a good call to like get really simple <laughs> and rewind it what's great about it though is that like every single shot tells a, a different story you know like mm. just the mere existence of random things like she's on the train and she looks out and she sees a giant crab fighting people in an alleyway and you're just like moving on what yeah, <laughs> yeah and then that comes back to play with like the like, this is the big robot fighting the giant crab when she goes to get, like, the taco burgers. Yeah, but it's, that, that was the other thing. He made this whole, like, huge race sequence and fight scene and all this stuff. And for the actual film he made, it's just so that it goes up on some TVs in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was the, what was the, the, like, the hollow ball or what, what's Hyper, that? The hyperbole. Hyperbole, hyperbole yeah. Hyper, hyperbole. Hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. that, was that even in this? No. Uh, that was just a thing he, he, said, he said it was in there yeah, and, I, like, in a screen somewhere, but I was, like, specifically watching the screens <laughs> to find it and i couldn't uh, find it i mean it was there but it's, it, he said there's more of it though that'll be in like the next piece that he said will be released in four years or whatever <laughs> yeah i guess uh it, if you haven't seen ian's new video um you know it's 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 almost a one-man army tour de force of like 3d work all done in blender but that doesn't really even matter so much as the fact that it's just like artistically speaking so rich mm-hmm. and there's so much imagination in every shot and so much craftsmanship you know it's basically somebody making a digital diorama of this world that they've entirely yeah. made up diorama, three years working on it. it yeah well he did so many photo scans to like build everything yeah a lot of photo scans but also photo modeling i feel like he's yeah. kind of a pioneer of that concept a mm-hmm. little bit like it's not new by any stretch of the imagination yeah. but like no one's really pushing it as far as he is and that's the idea of like he'll take a picture of the side of the building you know, mm-hmm. and he'll just project that onto a plane and then be like, all right, there's this gutter that's running down the length of this picture here. And he'll like just kind of like make some lines where that gutter is and extrude it outwards. And meanwhile, the picture is still projected onto this plane <clears throat> and he starts just building out geometry. Next thing you know, you have like a fairly detailed 3D model of uh, this picture that he took so he can add lights to it and actually add shadow to the rest of the shot and all that stuff. And it's a very easy way to get a decent amount enough detail in something without having to go through and photo scanning something right you know it's uh so that's how he does a lot of the more detailed walls and and storefronts and windows and stuff like that he has this method for getting like bedrooms and whatnot so he'll it's all driven by maps Hmm. and he does all of that and then he just has basically a random generator for each window sourcing a different map for Hmm. for that the contents of that window it's yeah it's cool stuff so many like yeah. really so many smart like super smart ways to <laughs> it's like the really modern version of pulleys you know like the pulley lets you <laughs> like multiply your force <laughs> like what Eniever does with blender is like the most modern <clears throat> advanced high-tech version of pulleys where he is 
multiplying his creative force like thousandfold. Yeah, and and so we asked him about render times. I mean, basically, you have a twenty-one minute short film that's completely rendered, so mm-hmm. that probably took a long time to render, right? And it's like, well, he ha- he specifically set it up so that most of the shots are outside. Hmm. And I was like, how? What? Okay, why does that make? And he's like, there are fewer bounces before the hmm. paths terminate because you have a bounce hitting this, that, and then up into the sky and away. As opposed to indoors, where it hits something, hits the roof, hits the ground again, hits the roof, and just bounces out. And it takes a long time for that noise to resolve out. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, these more outdoor pieces um, render a lot quicker. Plus, you got, a, you got like a 3090 uh, recently-ish. Uh, and so he was saying that like there's only one shot in the entire thing that was rendered in Eevee. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it was all just cycles render. And he was getting about 20-ish seconds per frame. Oh, that's which is good. really good for like final quality rendering. And cycles is similar to octane, right? More yeah. or less. Okay. More or less. I I could not tell where uh, the practical set ended and the CG set began in in a, yeah almost in a great deal of that piece. Well, yeah, because we, we yeah the we style was very shop, consistent. Yeah, yeah. Style. When we went to his consistent. shop, like you know, he he could tell like he's he's thinking about every little thing that is mm-hmm. going into those little sets that he has just for the, the close-ups and the, the interactive stuff. Um, and it's pretty cool to see how that he was able to translate that same style, not only to the rest of the image, but then across the, the video as well. And that yeah. was, that was like, that was another thing that really, I think he, he pushed the envelope on and that was the use of, of, you know, a, some something filmed practically, mm-hmm. whether it's not just a green screen element, but like a set and whatnot. And he would basically in, include that into the 3D geometry of the scene and render it all out as one. It gives you a lot more control over the camera and you get these really smooth transitions from like a fully CG shot and then going down to this room to transitioning into like the fully practical shot. Yeah. It's like... No one else is really doing that. Like, not even Hollywood Studios, because it requires that sort of top-down thinking of the person doing the effects is the one actually doing the shot, yeah. filming it, and designing it. I feel like it's honestly only Marvel that gets anywhere close to, like, that same s- cohesion. Marvel? Yeah. Like, cause, like there, will, will, there will be sequences where it's like, you know, there's gonna be a real human standing on the shoulder of the CG giant here that moves across this real thing here. Totally. Like it's, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I guess, I mean, they're doing it at scale like that, but I feel like the way they're doing it is brute force. I feel like Ian's I feel like, like Ian has figured out the actual efficient formula. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's the mad scientist who's discovered, like, the 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 unifying equation to all yeah. life, and he's just like, oh, yeah, it's great. It's he's like, like you don't need force, just perfect grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's, though, he's... <clears throat> I mean, it's a great example of taking the tools that you have and your creative style. Like, there's no way in practical Hollywood production that you could film and then go back and refilm or readjust the scene or, you know, rewrite something even to mm-hmm. fit something that then came about as a process of your creativity. Um, Ren, you do that a little bit. I mean, we all do that a little bit, but I think when, you, when you're making your videos <clears throat> particularly too, you, you, you do go through a bit of a process of, sort of reassessing where you came from to that point. And obviously there's a ton of that in there. Yeah. I mean, like for me, it's like, I'll, I'll first start by like writing a script and, and getting that most of the way fleshed out. And then I'll start filming kind of in chunks and, and editing those chunks and slowly realizing, okay, I need to get this other thing filmed 
uh, which is different than how I originally had it written. And so it, it really evolves over the course of the production. And so by the end of the video, it gets uploaded. It usually is a little different from what I originally wrote. Right. Um, well, actually, that's a great segue. I'll talk about something I'm working on. Okay. Hit us. <laughs> talking about efficiency. Right? <laughs> right? All right. Yeah. It kind of seems like the subject oh, here a little wait, bit. Wait, sorry. I thought that was your segue to like, something I'm working on is efficiency. I thought you were going to go into like a whole like personal. No, fuck that. <laughs> fuck, fuck my personal Sam's stuff, man. Only wearing, I've got no wearing... personal things to okay. talk about. Real quick, before we go into that, I want to finish one last thought with Ian. Hell yeah. So we went to Ian's house two years ago this month, last yeah. month, I guess. And mm. uh, I had totally forgotten that like when we were there, he was kind of, you know, showing us some of these little mini sets he made in this church that he lives in, uh, this cult church. And at the time, uh, he know, is yeah. not, he's not in the cult. Like he's not he, a cult. He he's no longer the cult, cult, cult is gone, but yeah. the building remains. And, and it was, because it was, it was a, he got it, uh, he got a deal. <laughs> yeah, because of the cult situation. Anyway, uh, and so like this was around this. So he didn't really have much to show us. He showed us like a little bit of what he's working on. But meanwhile, we're like, I mean, that's cool looking. I mean, sweet. We don't really know what you're planning on, but yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, this was also the same time we came up with the Boston Dynamics idea, mm -hmm. and 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 doing that. It was all like like right at that that time. Uh, yeah. So he was he was there for the inception of the Boston video a little bit too. Yeah. Even though I think technically that was like you guys at the pool table in Portland. <laughs> yeah, we got there. Yeah, we were like really close to cracking it. And yeah, it was, on, it was, was on one of those walk, ideas. We it was on the walk back it. from the pool from the pool hall. <laughs> That's yeah. when it. Yeah, yeah, it's just kind of kind of crazy time. Anyway, Sam, efficiency. So we're talking about efficiency. Mm -hmm. Well, I was okay. So what we're talking about here is like that idea of like okay, you can. What's the fastest way to get to your like result here from an artistic standpoint and like trying to like go big scale but do it really streamlined so one two three people can navigate this huge thing here um and so i'm talking going to talk about unreal engine again obviously Heck yeah but whatever but no but <laughs> last week was crazy because unreal engine 5 came out remember this is a futurology podcast unreal yeah. engine 5 came out it's, a, it's been officially termed a futurology podcast good futurology or futurism well, but it's it's pretty nuts we'll, we'll know that in the future i'll look it up <laughs> sorry unreal engine 5 well no it's it's crazy because it's really good but the more i'm starting to realize like every like that's the it's the future of filmmaking it's the future of cg filmmaking mm -hmm. like there's plenty of other ways to get like beautiful results using blender and all of this stuff. But you know, when it comes to the concept of setting up your shots and rendering your stuff out and stuff like that, everyone's using it at this point. Like everyone I know who is into filmmaking is generally getting into it at this point. And it's pretty crazy. Um, it's kind of scary because it's definitely putting the pressure to like get really good at it because of how powerful it is and how, how many other people see that potential. So, you know, definitely want to ride that wave. But Unreal 5 came out last week, and it's super special because it solves two things that... Well, one one thing is something that all CG programs struggle with. Yeah. And the other is just... It's superficial, but nice. So the first thing, <laughs> the first thing it solves is... Um, there's this thing that's really exciting. It's called, like, Nanite that's in it. And Man. the Nanite engine is basically a, a real-time way for the engine to decimate the 3D models depending on how close you are to them. What that means is it basically is like, all right, 
you have a super high detailed sculpted model that's got like millions and millions and millions and millions of little polygons, you know, basically polygons for those out there who are unfamiliar. Polygons are the individual faces that make up an object. A cube, for example, effectively has uh, technically 12 if you break it into triangles. Okay, yeah, but six. If but it's, squares. It, it's but six polygons if they're square, they're quad po- po- quad polygons. Yeah. So that's a great example. Square or a cube has six of these. Now you take a bust of a crazy sculpture and you zoom in like how many little tiny polygons are going to make up that shape. So what it can do in real time is you take these huge models and normally that's really taxing for a computer because it's constantly computing these millions and millions and millions of points and polygons and faces and all that stuff. Whereas now you can drag them into Unreal and it processes the model and you can just like paste them everywhere. And like, it's just insane. Like there's no limitation on your poly counts. So because to speak. as it moves away from the camera, as it moves away from the camera, it's optimizing the models. So that way you're not having to compute all these tiny little individual faces on every single model. So it's like, it's like the marriage of data structure science with like rendering science. Exactly. And like this technology has kind of been around, but it's been through like way more primitive means where for instance, like say you're using like octane, the way octane does it is rather than basing it on distance. If you want like a lot of polygons in your scene, basically you tell octane, Hey, look at my model over here. I want you to replicate that a million times, but only when you start rendering, never show, never make it show up when I'm working because that's going to murder my computer. <laughs> and so it takes the model, loads it into its memory and knows, hey, I'm supposed to make a thousand replicas of this later. Mm-hmm. And it's able to do that a lot more efficiently when it's not actually trying to like. Yeah, because it's not storing it a thousand times it, in memory. It's not storing it a thousand times over yeah, and just displaying it. That's instancing, which I feel yeah. like is a little different. It's, I know that's what I'm saying. That's These are like the primitive approaches that have existed in the past. But this new approach hasn't existed ever almost anywhere like so but so like in, in, in previously in games and in game engines the way it worked was you would have like three to five different models that were all more and more optimized it's called level of detail mm-hmm. so basically when you're close to a character they're at level of detail zero and when they're in the far distance they're at level of detail five and you could act you can actually line the models up and go oh look they're like decreasing in quality <laughs> like until it gets the garbage like playstation one graphics like playstation yeah. one being but it's okay like, because it's really far away and in the screen it's going to be this big yeah exactly like the, there's like one pixel per polygon so this is so basically doing yeah. that to every model you give it in real time and it's pretty wild and so well the craziest thing is that you literally do like remember like you were saying like look like, guys really far in the distance so it's a playstation one style model mm-hmm. where it's like the polygons are so small it's only one pixel per polygon it's like yes what if the entire screen was one pixel per polygon? What if we could automatically up-res and de-res every model so that if you're up close to it, it says high detailed where every pixel is still one polygon, mm-hmm. and if it's far away, one pixel is still one polygon. Yeah, well, it kind of... That's, that's nanite. So what this does is it basically allows you to break the, 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 the status quo of what game engines are used for, which is usually you optimize everything for a game engine. Like you, you really, you're really careful with your models and your texture maps and all this stuff to make sure it's taking up as less, the least amount of space possible. Right. Yeah. The smallest mm-hmm. files, the, because you don't want your 
load yeah. times to be That's huge. That's always been the biggest difference yeah. between, like, say, like Cinema 4D and 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 a real time engine is because it's like it's all about that optimization. When you're doing yeah. something in post, it's like you don't have to worry about optimization. You worry about quality, max settings, yeah. everything. And so mm -hmm. instead of worrying about how much RAM does the Xbox 360 have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, how many textures can that support in this room? Okay. So so if we're talking about our like optimization goal posts here for like the most amount of crap your computer can handle. This just took the like the goalpost and brought it like miles into the distance, like almost so far that I I, I honestly don't know where it is anymore. You just dropped it into a black <laughs> like hole, I don't know. Gone. Yeah, it's just like okay, well, how am I going to make a chunky scene now? Like how like <laughs> what's going to slow my scene down if it's not going to be the actual three D models at this point? It's going to be all the other things like textures and stuff like that. But so you so. know what my concern is about this? It's such an awesome technology. It's amazing that we can literally just drop in a oh, giant three D mesh of a <laughs> canyon. And it's like, it just works. You don't mm. have to worry about optimizing it. I worry that, you know, human nature is to be lazy. And so <laughs> what I worry is going to happen is that the video games we play and spend so much time downloading is just going to get worse. Because now instead oh. of making sure that each level was under a certain file size, they're like, well, screw it. Yeah, make sure. Yeah, sure. That level's 90 gigabytes and we have four of them. Whatever. <laughs> Yep. Like our game, I yeah. literally worry that this technology is going to make it so that the games we're downloading are going to be like three to five hundred gigabytes per game. That's going to suck. already over a hundred gigabytes. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to suck. Modern, you know what? The newest Modern Warfare was like one hundred twenty. That pain is only temporary because things will only get faster. I know that's true. <laughs> you get bigger hard drives, you get faster internet. You yeah, know, it'll are even you really out. Really going to totally. be downloading games like that that call much of, longer? In call the of Duty Warzone is. 400 gigabytes now or something like that no it was under 200 i want to say it was 120 160 maybe 180 180 it's now like it's it's pretty ridiculous it's like you include all the the expansion <laughs> and, and they're and not like... even using anything like this yeah. <laughs> so anyway so that's a kind of a huge deal because basically it's like all right we're talking about using it for making linear content uh you know like not games mm -hmm. and i mean both four <laughs> games and four games you can use what you would call cinema quality models for mm -hmm which is pretty dope. Um, also, there's a brand new lighting engine, which is really Lumen. cool. And yeah. So why, the, it, why didn't, yeah. why didn't, <laughs> but we won't talk about that. Just, it has nice lights. I mean, it's pretty sweet. It's really nice. Dude, you, you dropped in that fog thing and you're like, this was so hard to do in UE4. It was, it was just, glitchy. Like, I turn on it and it's there. Yeah. Jake, what are you going to ask? Well, why didn't Nanite exist before? People weren't smart enough yet. <laughs> I like think nanite, the, nanite is literally cutting edge technology right now i think part of why it doesn't exist before is memory um because it's it's virtualized geometry so it's basically loading your mesh into like the ram on your gpu and okay. you know you need to be able to load a 20 million polygon model into your memory you just don't have to render it at 20 million polygons you know you can render it at less polygons. polygons that's insane that's yeah, yeah. that's pretty heavy it yeah. is heavy um <laughs> none of us are zebra users like, we're not used to that there's nothing like there's something like that in cinema 4d you can't just like load in as many models as you want and just be like ah, oh, just automatically de-res them so you're still running nice and smooth like there's yeah. nothing like that you know which suddenly moves unreal into this category of its own well like even still like certain scenes that i have set up in unreal like don't run in cinema 4d like i can't view them in cinema 4d like they just even even when you take the textures off and the lighting off and all that stuff just it can't handle it because cinema and like blender like that's brute force it's like here's the model you can edit it you can do it any anything you want with it but it's going to render it in its entirety mm -hmm. even in the viewport even when it's just a temp render and um, that's because the meshes are too dense 
Well, it's, yeah, it's just because it's like, oh, you want me to render 20 million polygons? Sure, here, here's all 20 million right now. And like, you zoom out, <laughs> you zoom out until the model's one pixel tall and it's still going like, we figured out all, where all 20 million polygons are. <laughs> They're right here. They're all in this one tiny but dot. we did 20 million calculations to figure <laughs> out. They're like, right here. We did the math. They're all in this one pixel, you know? <laughs> this pixel is the perfect average color of all 20 million polygons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, for those of you who don't know, you're looking at, uh, pretty high detailed photo scans of the D and D board from our yes and so, show. So yeah. now to from hype to like real world use. Um, basically, so in the last few months we're like, we shot the Son of a Dungeon show. We're trying to figure out how to do the live action stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, we we just unlocked the technology to use Unreal for all the CG in it, rather than mm-hmm. rendering it out in Blender or Octane. Basically, we can bring these. We 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 photo scanned all of the game tables so once again millions of polygons in these huge photo scans of these miniature environments and you know there's they look really good sometimes they look a little weird and janky because they're photo scans and you know we're doing our best but overall <laughs> with the the new lighting engine and then this nanite engine it's like in your normal maps and some sp- fancy normal map t- tweaks i'm doing like it's basically it's like it's it's comparable quality to just rendering them out with a normal renderer and like octane um and so not only is that cool but what's even cooler is we've been trying to figure out hey how do we film on a green screen and get 3d camera data at the same time so that way we can do this way faster and we've been very seriously considering using uh the camtrack ar application to do this because it gives you it records your phone's video and a 3d camera with it at the same time but with unreal's new business here it's like well we can just re- set up vibe trackers on our camera and do some fancy tweaks and then basically have the camera data recorded in unreal engine yeah. which is mm-hmm. crazy because imagine a day of shooting you've got a green screen you got a vibe tracker cut cut record 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 at the end of your day you have a huge folder in unreal engine of all these sequences with your recorded camera data in it Ideally with synced time code. And no, seriously, with synced time code and everything. Yeah, you're having to get a special card just I, I, for I, that. Yeah, I got a special video card that does gen lock between the camera and Unreal, so the frames fire at the same time. And then literally at the end of your day of green screen shooting, you literally just drag all these recorded camera takes into a, a queue, hit go, and you just literally walk away and maybe come back like 20 minutes later and you've got every single shot from your entire day rendered right there <laughs> which is nuts yeah. yeah we're looking at weeks of rendering time if you to throw that into octane which is already one of the fastest renderers on the planet <laughs> yeah well yeah. it brings it from like 15 to 20 seconds per frame to like point two <laughs> seconds per frame yeah you're getting frames per second rather than seconds <clears throat> per we're frame. getting frames per second we instead of seconds the per formula frame. on yeah. its head <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's pretty it's pretty mind-blowing stuff um, it's also important to note that everyone's working on real-time rendering engines like Octane, Otoy. Uh, mm-hmm. They're working on Brigade, which we still haven't really seen too much about, but it's their real-time counterpart to Octane. It's supposed to work like Octane, but it's real-time. But So, Sam, I'm sure the question in everybody's minds <gasps> is, Sam, why don't you film it on the Mandalorian set? Why, why not film oh, on a film volume? Film on a volume. Well, uh, I'm not going to lie. We've had people reach out to us who have volume stages, and they're like, hey, come use it, and... I've I've definitely got a lot of pressure from everyone yeah, here. Yeah, for to me, film. I have been repeatedly trying to pressure <laughs> and, Sam and to be like, Nico. let's do it. 
Let's just do it. From me. I would much rather start with like a smaller project where we don't have dozens of shots counting on it. That said, we're going to go check it out. But that, we should just do it. What's why? Why not? Well, yeah. First off, the yep. one reason is you don't have floors or ceilings. Because yeah. you're in a real life environment, and if you want to do floors, you have to put dirt down. You have to deal with blending the <laughs> dirt to your screen and calibrating it. So you're what you're saying is essentially you're limited to any types of shot where you can't see the feet and you can't be looking. You don't have any low angles looking up at people. It's pretty much all just like medium run-on shots. It would be a lot of mediums, and then also, I mean, I haven't seen the screen, but sometimes these LED stages do have problems when you focus the camera to the screen as in like i want a shot of the environment with mm. people in the foreground sometimes the the, sh- the the screen will break down now that is called more more <laughs> anytime you pull your phone out to take when a picture of your tv it's more it's that weird like rainbow pattern you get when you when you try to record a screen and that's because a screen all this uh, a tv screen a computer screen all it is is just an LED array with really, really, really tiny LEDs. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's why there's also also all sorts of things. Um, once again, those volumes are great. We they, talked about they, having to do VFX as pre-production. You have to do VFX as pre-production. Your shots have to be final before you roll the camera. And yeah. there's all sorts of things you need. I, I would say you need a larger team. You need a larger team to shoot it. You need multiple people there operating the screen. Both from a technical standpoint and a creative standpoint, too. You know what I mean? Like, you need someone who's just, like, a creative, like, moving boxes around kind of guy, moving lights around, all that Virtual stuff. Virtual gaffers and grips. Man, people are going to be yeah. freaking gaffing and gripping in, like, VR. No, but that's... Yeah. <laughs> I real, mean, we can't talk, talk too much about it, but we got some cool stories. No, we. No, I was just saying right now, yeah, we talked with this guy, Felix George. He works at Happy Mushroom. They do a ton of the, basically, environmental design for The Mandalorian. They shoot on the volumes. That's exactly what they do. They have virtual location scouts in Unreal Engine where yeah. the, him and like John Favreau and then the DP and then some like virtual like set decorators and virtual gaffers hang out. <laughs> and they literally wear VR goggles and are all in different parts of the United States. Yeah. And they all hop in the VR and they all just like walk around these virtual sets. And, and, and it looks like a normal location scout, except it's just people with VR headsets. In a video you just see game little map. heads bobbing around, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, so, man. And then last but not least, why not a volume? Well, when you just record the camera data, we have the flexibility to still make tweaks to the render and make sure yeah. the lighting matches better. Like the background yeah. needs to be on fire here, or, you know, I need some bodies over here. Or... Yeah, like we can make, a, we can still go in and make the tweaks necessary on a per shot basis. That said, it'll, it'll still be really close and probably will use a lot of the shots but i i still feel like even if it's not the whole project even if it's just like one scene we should shoot something there it could potentially be something for this you knock out i'm down for something that's not this project if you come up with an idea let's do it but dude my moon seeing your logic now sam i'm seeing your logic now because at first i was like well what we'll knock out 30 percent of the shots if we film it on a volume but now I'm seeing like well with the with the speed at which we can set up and get the shots in our own studio using these tools it's also with the added improvisation that you get yeah from just being able to be like ah let's let's do that again or we didn't like that let's come back next day and yeah. change it it does still require the 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 workflow of having to green screen your character, spill suppression, color matching, all that stuff. Well, but it's like it makes yes. it easier though cuz we can see the background as we're filming it and yeah. go like Oh, there's a red light over there. 
you know. You know what would be really baller? Is we figured out how to use Fusion and DaVinci Resolve. Because remember, the, the Unreal footage could be time code synced. So you can literally have DaVinci automatically have every cat track be a multi-track with two video feeds. One is your green screen feed. One is your background feed already linked together in your bin. You just pop it over to Fusion. You pull a quick key. You can do anything else you want and you're done. And it's all rendering on the GPU, full utilization. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Theoretically. And it's automatically all synced up in the timeline. Theoretically. We're not there yet. But a boy can dream. No, well, I mean, that's how it's going to be exported. When that's we how it's going to be exported. When we hit render <laughs> on those shots, they're going to be exported with time code. And we'll, we can sync the backgrounds automatically to all the footage we shoot. Automatically. Oh, Jesus. Pretty, pretty rad. <laughs> it's pretty dope. Oh, sorry, someone started dragging chairs Anyways, above us. So it's pretty sweet. Loud. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's, it's pretty. It's, it, crazy. it's super amazing. I yeah. I can't stop thinking about it every week. It's just like oh, I can't stop doing. Are you waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweats, Sam, thinking about what you can do next? Yes, I am thinking about it. And I'm swear. I swear to God, I'm, before I leave on this vacation, I'm carving out like three hours. To put mocap suits on to film this quiet place with farts video <laughs> in Unreal Engine. I, I finally watched that. How was it? Qu a quiet place with farts. You watched it? No, no, no. no it's a the movie original, that I'm the original gonna make. one. I, we have. To, I've been trying to make this movie, video for months, and this week is like, oh, we're shooting these important videos every day. It's like, <laughs> it's like I'm going on vacation in a week and a half. And this movie's hot right now. It's the only movie in America. It's it's the apocalypse, and one movie finally came out that was good. And it's the only movie people are watching. That's I, I still haven't seen the second one. I loved the first one. I thought Perfect. It was great. Quiet place. Then you'll love this video. I think we can do it just all like I've got a great forest map. It looks beautiful. I got apocalypse characters. Right, hey, let's, let's see beautiful. when let's see when we can do this. Let me look at the calendar. Like I think we could honestly do it as like a half day mocap session. And it would be tailored so that there's no guns, no objects. It's just jokes and funny faces. No interactions with characters and physical props. It's literally just goofing around in mocap suits in a beautiful forest environment and having to fart. We could probably... But not we farting. Could, we could probably Because <laughs> there's do a it monster that can hear it. <laughs> we could probably do it mon Monday. It'll be the time of your life for whoever... <laughs> helps make it <laughs> nika do you want to talk about what's happening tomorrow sure and i think they'll take us out of this podcast yeah to wrap things up tomorrow i'm going to be Pushed. doing a daredevil stunt i'm going Nico's to making the jump making the jump off the top of our building onto a big pile of cardboard boxes with an actual stunt team supervising me and showing me how to do a high fall so i will be doing a high fall off the roof of our building and it's gonna be rad. I can't wait. Make sure, make sure you stretch, man. Yeah, yeah. Do some, I'm, do some yoga in the morning. You're right, actually. Some a freaking thirty five year old man's. Make sure your range of motion is good. I'm I'm very jealous. I was actually thinking about this last night and talking with Jenna about it. I was just like about like I should try to like weasel my way into this to do it as well. And I was like, oh, you have two broken bones. And, 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 so, and, and I realized, yeah, that's the worst. I, I really can't do that. I, yeah. And so like, I, I'm in my own head thinking about this and Jen and I are watching TV in bed and I get out of bed and I, I get down on the ground into a push up position and just go, ah, and I get back in bed and Jenna's just looking at me like I'm literally insane. Like, what was that about? I'm like, don't worry about it. I was just seeing if I could jump off a building. 
And the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just no, I, sure. I, I mean, real talk. I wasn't actually going to try to, to like, m you know, make it a thing, but part of me was like, man, that's so cool. What if I could do it? <laughs> I was jealous of Clint being left, but lit on fire. So oh, yeah. Okay. For my sure. Thing. Well, we've still got more. There's the getting squibbed up. Getting squibbed Ooh. up would be really fun. Ooh. Sam might claim that. I've one, heard though. I've heard squibs hurt like hell. Yeah. They do. Squibs. Wait, you've been squibbed? <laughs> I've never been squibbed, but it depends just being where next to them, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends where. It depends where. Yeah. Right, right in the cheekbone. Kind of squibbed too, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I'm a little nervous. I shouldn't be, but it means I'm respecting the uh the situation. But honestly, It'll be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. I, I really want to I don't know see... what to expect. Yeah, no, I mean, but I, I really want to see you explore all these thoughts and emotions with the stunt coordinator. Because I'm sure they're all thoughts that he's had before. He's known people to have. And I really want to... I, I want to see his perspective on, on this. Yeah, me you too. Know? It's, it's like, like where, do, where does the thrill-seeking, thrill -seeking, like, you know, adrenaline junkie line cross at the I'm professional and it shouldn't be about the thrill. It should mm -hmm. be about just, you yeah. know... Because I feel like the, the Clint on Fire video was a little bit more... That was pretty serious. Granted, that was serious. It's fire, mm -hmm. reasonably so. But I feel like the... I don't know. It would have been cool to see a little bit more of the exploration of the, the enjoyment side of that thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We'll figure that out. Tomorrow. Uh, yeah, Which, Tomorrow. I mean, this podcast probably isn't going to be out after that. So, yeah. I guess oh, we'll yeah. find out how it went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, also, I mean, real quick before we go, we have it's yeah. we have to do it. Nico, how's the mountain bike? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the mountain bike's so good. I've rode it so much over Memorial Day weekend. All right, everybody, listen. You gotta go out and get electric mountain bikes. <laughs> everybody, real quick, we gotta go out and get them. <laughs> we did a ride on Sunday. Where we went up to the top of Verdugo, and Nico was running super late. And I betrayed uh, the one wheel squad. <clears throat> yeah, it was a little bit of a trail, but it was cool. Uh, you're like, uh, I'll catch up, and I made the call. I was like. He is going to catch up. Let's go, everyone. <laughs> so we just left. And we were like halfway up the mountain. And Nico's like, I'm on my way. <laughs> and by the time we got to the top, he was there. Yeah. Wow. It's real fast. It's yeah. real fast. I tried another exploration down a trail on the mountain. And it got real sketch. And we had to turn around. This wasn't with the one-wheel squad. It was uh, with, my, with my buddy Mike. And mountain bikes can take you into some gnarly places. And you got to respect the mountain. Because you, you can get stuck out there without water if you're not careful. If your bike breaks down and you're... Five miles away from civilization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we were okay. Oh, yeah. We were talking about your bike, Sam. Uh, when was the last time it broke down? It's never, like, completely broken down. Well, you'd have, like, a little component break here and there. Yeah. Well, Some for the component. first, like, six months, basically everything <clears throat> constantly went wrong with it until <laughs> I had gone through the entire thing and retightened everything uh so yeah that's basically they ship it to you with everything loose and <laughs> apparently like i lost like caps for my front axle oh no i lost screws that held the pedals in place um i lost the the, the bearings for the pedal system popped out at wow. one point and the gear fell off uh, <laughs> the, yeah it's like saying the wheel fell off your car while you're going down the road yeah but it's all close feels like that um so yeah all sorts of little things that are super sketchy um and it's like i now at this point i mean i just before i ride the bike i just look at everything I'm like is everything here and then i ride it <laughs> like a pre-flight check yeah i kind of <laughs> do that inspection. a little bit but 
-hmm. it's been working great since then. I haven't had I've no maintenance in the last year. So. Have you ever crashed on it? Yes, once. How bad was it? It was um, 10 out of 10 being death and 0 out of 10 being hopping off the bike and not being injured at all. It was about like a like a 6. Really? No, well, because well, I was going around. It was like right next to my house, too. I was just going around a corner cruising. It's a, it's a blind turn. And I'm going around the corner and... Um, car pulls up to a stop sign super fast that I'm where I'm turning into and so I hit the brakes and because I'm still not used to dirt bike slash motorcycle brake configurations I leaned way too hard on the front brake so both mm -hmm. wheels locked up and basically oh. it's just the bike just went down and I slid and basically jacked my leg up and I, had, I got like a you know I got road rash all up it yeah but the bad part was that it, it bumped my like pelvis bone um and and it, it in my I had like an inflamed pelvis joint for like two months afterwards. Oh, that I made it really that. hard to walk. I kind of remember that. Yeah. Yeah. That, How that's, long ago uh, was that? That was that was last summer. Okay. So hmm. that that was that's the worst that's happened. But that's why I, I'm not turning the 50 mile an hour mode on because <laughs> it's like like 28 is fine. It's fast enough. <laughs> yeah. And it's just at that threshold where I probably won't die if I get if I crash. So <laughs> you're right. You're right. Once I cross over that, then it's like, ooh, here we go. We're in, we're in neck breaking, back breaking territory. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. It's like so. somebody pulls out in front of you. It's like, yeah. Yeah. You don't so. want that. That's true. It does go up after after forty, basically. You're, mm. After forty miles an hour, yeah, things go up pretty exponentially. Yeah. yeah. So. But other than that, great time. Highly recommend it. E-bikes. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, when you're riding a motorcycle, you are a kinetic battery. Yeah. You you are you are literally storing kinetic energy in your soul. <laughs> and that energy can explode like a lipo battery. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hell yeah. So metal. All right. Can you sing a song about uh kinetic batteries exploding? <laughs> yeah, man. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> I had a kinetic battery in my soul. <laughs> I didn't know that it could explode And it came around a corner There was a car at a stop sign And it It went kaboom <laughs> I got a kinetic battery in my soul I don't know I am loving this song. When it's gone to explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo! All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Oh, Catch you'll hear you next us next week. week. You'll yeah. hear us in your earbuds. Because of three, two, one.